Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle. Because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider. And also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your crave. Hey friends, and welcome to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm so glad you're here. Each week on this show, I invite a friend to join me, and we chat about the big things in life, the little things in life, and everything in between. You guys, we have a show I've been waiting to have a conversation about for a long time. Today on the show is Tish Harrison Warren. Now, if you were around in 2021 and you follow me on Instagram or you listen to the podcast, I guarantee you, you heard me talk about her book, Prayer in the Night. I read that book in that fall and it became so dear to me and one of the best books I read that year. In fact, I think I declared it the best book I read all year. And so did some other people who are smarter and have a lot more influence than me. So I've been wanting to talk to Tish forever. She's really good friends with Esau McCauley, who you know has been on the show before. We love Esau. I think Esau put in a good word for us. So Tish lives in Austin. She came down to the studio. We have such a great conversation today. Uh, The show's a little bit longer, but I think it's okay because we had a great conversation. And honestly, one of the truth, I could have talked to her for a whole nother hour. We talk a lot today about her book, Prayer in the Night. We talk about grief. We talk about suffering. And I just want to say, we say this a lot in the show, but like all of us have grief in our life right now. And so we're not going to play the game of saying who's as big or who's as less. This show is so encouraging. I cry a couple of tears in the show explaining to her one of my favorite parts of the book. And so, gosh, go get this book, you guys. It's called Prayer in the Night by Tish Harrison Warren. It came out in 2021 and it is such a great, great, great book. Today we talk about it a lot. And without further ado, Here's my new friend. I'm going to call her that. My new friend, Tish Harrison Warren. Tish, welcome to the happy hour. Thank you for having me. It's fun to be actually with you. Well, it is so fun to have you here on the happy hour. And I need to say this for the listeners and for you too. Whenever I have people on the show that I have fallen in love with their work and then they sit in front of me or I sit across the screen from them, I feel giddy and honored. And so I feel that way about you being here. Thank you. So I need to say that I read your book, Prayer in the Night. It came out in 2021. Mm -hmm. Okay. I read it in 2021. At the end of the year, I declared it the best book I read all year. Wow. And then it wasn't too long that I think Christianity Today declared it the best book of the year. Yeah. Is that right? Well, it got book of the year. I, I don't well, think I threw in the best. best. <laughs> <laughs> I threw in the best. But literally, when I saw that, I was like, I want everyone to, I, fa- I found the best book of the year, you guys. <laughs> and so I read your book in 2021, along with some friends. And um, it just hit me in really, really great needed spaces. Mm-hmm. And so then my friend Lindsay, who works here, had already told me about it. And so then I went back and I read Liturgy of the Ordinary. Um, and so I am now trying to go through everything that you read, everything that you've written. Thanks. And so I'm glad you're here. 
Yeah, I'm so glad to be here. So glad. Okay, so we were talking before. Well, first of all, introduce yourself because I want everyone to know from your mouth who you are and what you do. Um, my name is Tish Harrison Warren, and um, I do all kinds of things. I'm an Anglican priest. You do a lot of things. I've learned. <laughs> yeah, I'm a so I'm an Anglican priest. I'm um, I am a writer. That's my primary gig right now. I write a weekly newsletter for the New York Times on faith in public discourse and private life. Okay. And um, I am an author of a couple of books and uh, write occasionally here and there for other things as well. And I have three kids, a 12-year-old, a 10-year-old, and a 3-year-old. Busy stuff, busy stuff. Yeah, so I'm tired. <laughs> because you have a lot going and on. And I'm so glad I'm so glad to be here. I might just stay after the podcast to sit in a quiet We're room. We're gonna go home. There's a couch <laughs> here. I got a blanket for you. Yes. Take a nap. That's actually why I came. <laughs> good, good, good. <laughs> take a nap, take a nap. I wanna just back up for a second and talk about something that we were talking about right before we started recording. And I said, Wait. Yes. Tell me when we're recording. So you asked me which of those two books did I like the best? Prayer mm-hmm. in the night or liturgy, liturgy of the Ordinary. Mm-hmm. And I told you, Prayer in the Night. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you proceeded to tell me what? Well, I asked you um, what your Enneagram number was. Yes, and I'm an Enneagram six. Everyone yeah. that listens knows. So pe- people should know, listeners should know, I'm not, I, there's some folks that are like super into the Enneagram and I'm not, mm-hmm. like I don't even know my number. Um, I'll tell you by the end what your um, number is. Yeah, I'm well, just kidding. That's I, it's totally be- not it's allowed. It's between two things, and I, I just think I'm both. And I know you're not. That's not how it works. But I think I just am. But um, anyway, so but my um, kind of operations manager assistant, who's wonderful, and has sort of d- developed this like um, completely untested unproven theory Uh that different enneagram numbers prefer different books of Uh mine so and do a lot of sixes fall under prayer in the night so prayer in the night is beloved of you know so i need to say this ivp marketing would be sad if all all enneagram numbers should buy both books yes um (laughs) and all all people across the Enneagram spectrum <laughs> have enjoyed both books. Yes. So it's not like you hate one. Totally. I mean, it's not, Under- yes. Yeah. It's not like, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Twos hate prayer and then right. or something. But typically fours and sixes, sometimes eights, love prayer in the night. That's so interesting. And ones and twos... um really love liturgy of the ordinary and and then the others like three five nine seven i actually don't have data on. (laughs) i love your is this like a little fourth grade science experiment yes Yes. (laughs) i have no idea this doesn't fit this is an unscientific study so um i mean i love i love both Mm -hmm. books Mm -hmm. you can if you've written books you you love them both mm-hmm. all. It's like children. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I can't pick a favorite one yeah. in that sense. But I, Liturgy of the Ordinary was my first book. And it was so, um, it was just so exciting mm-hmm. to get to write a book. And um, so there's like a first love, yeah. kind of first crush uh-huh. um, 
element to that 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 and it really launched my career. I mean, it did it did much better than we were expecting because I was essentially unknown. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I I'm always very grateful for that mm-hmm. book. And in term, I mean, I think Prayer in the Night is a better book. Mm-hmm. Um, just in or it's different in the sense that it, if, litur- if Liturgy of the Ordinary is kind of first love, mm-hmm. Prayer in the Night is like when when it's gotten really hard, yep. when love has gotten really hard mm-hmm. and figuring out how do you how do you kind of keep going. Yeah. And so in that sense it's a it's an uh, it's an it's an older book or yeah. a more it's a book that feels they both feel they both feel really authentic mm-hmm. in the sense that they were I was trying to really come out of where yeah. I was and they both deal a lot with my own struggles. I don't know how you would write without writing It'd about your struggles. Yourself, right. But um but there's something that's more um kind of hard one, I think, in some ways. It, I mean that book Prayer in the Night about killed me to write and um and and it was it was a hard, hard book to write and it was pretty painful to write yeah. in moments and so um not that liturgy of the ordinary was a walk in the park because it was but a it new feels project like prayer but in the night was like you had to go deep into some deep soul places and grief and uh-huh. going back and visiting grief i think is like so exhausting right and so yep you're pouring right. yourself out so i've i've said this i think elsewhere but i so um you know when i got the idea for Prayer in the Night, I was actually on a writing kind of, I was, a writing retreat mm-hmm. is too fancy. Like when it was, when I had very small kids and when you're a writer with small kids, some, it is not uncommon if you have very kind friends that if they, that some friends of mine were going out of town. So they were like, do you want to come like sleep at our house overnight and work? Yeah. Um, and so I went to write a different book um, that was much more sort of like doctrinal and, restru- you know, cause I don't know, it was more, th- I don't want to say it was more theological, but it was more sort of straightforwardly mm-hmm. theological. And, um, and this book, the idea of Prayer for the Night came and like, just wouldn't leave me Mm. alone it was like this cat that followed me home and like would not like once it was there it was like this book has to be written yeah but I did not want to write it and I told God (laughs) I had three reasons that I did not want to write it oh do you want me to say all three uh this could be a long answer (laughs) oh I'm just trying to know (laughs) what it was (laughs) that you were not willing to write one of them, I'm happy to tell you all three. Depends on how long of an answer you want. But the one that I was bringing up, because it kind of relates uh-huh. to what you were saying, is that, you know, this was this was 2018, sort of, I, I can't remember when. It was like middle to end. I remember the weather was really nice. So it was like spring or summer mm-hmm. 2018. So it was about a year after these events, the, the events that kind of book starts mm-hmm. with. And I was just beginning to kind of heal. Yep. And it felt like I was just beginning to, like, breathe again Mm -hmm. or be able to, like, I don't even know if I was at a place of, like, joy and belief again. But it was a place where I could, like, maybe think that could come again, Mm. you know. And um, and I don't I don't get into this deeply in the book, not because I was avoiding it, just because it 
it was too much. But our, our like all of the events that I kind of talk about in the book were like really hard on our marriage. Yeah. And I was just, we were just that, there was a lot of healing happening mm-hmm. or we were in counseling and there was healing. So it was like things were just starting to kind of heal a little bit. And it felt like, oh Lord, I do not want to yeah. go back yeah. and have to look at all this. Like I don't want to have to go back and feel all this again. Yep. Like I felt it. I, and I just, I, I'm ready to like, can I just write a book about, I don't know, something that doesn't steps do- to a joyful life. Yes. <laughs> yes. Something. Yeah. Um, or something, you know, it, it just felt like, oh man, that's a, that's a dark place mm-hmm. to have to walk back into. Yeah. Stressed about pests? When you have pest problems, don't call just anyone. Call the Orkin Pro. For more than 120 years, Orkin offers unparalleled service, helping protect homes and businesses from termites, rodents, mosquitoes, and other insects. With Orkin by your side, you don't have to wonder about the outcome of your pest problem. We'll solve it guaranteed. And if bugs creep up between services, we'll be on your doorstep free of charge. Orkin, the best in pests. Learn more at orkin.com. Experience the joy of running in the new Triumph 22 from Saucony, the original running brand. Stacked with luxury foam cushioning, Triumph 22 turns miles into smiles with the ultimate blend of comfort and energy return. Shop Triumph 22 at Saucony.com. That's S-A-U-C-O-N-Y.com. That doesn't surprise me because Mm -hmm. I think anytime you've been through something, unless you're writing in the middle of it, which I would say majority of people are not. I mean, there might be journaling or whatever, but like Mm -hmm. no one's trying to like write a book in the middle of their grief normally. You know, they're just like trying to get through the day. Mm -hmm. And then to have to go back and enter into spaces that you already left, it's super, super. Not only is it difficult, to me, it's it's plain exhausting. And you're literally just like... Because you feel all the feelings over again and the yeah. feelings that you already dealt with and that you already went through. Yeah. and But what I found um, in the process of writing the book is that I actually hadn't really dealt with that. I, I, there there were certainly things I had. And like I said, I was in counseling. But the the central sort of struggle mm-hmm. that I bring to the book, I had not really faced and that is it's in the second chapter i so this this struggle is is the silver thread in some Mm -hmm. ways through the book but particularly in the second chapter there's this part where i say um i tell this story about my pastor hunter who says we cannot trust god to keep bad things from happening to us which i heard in a sermon in college and I knew that, but there was some sense of like, I don't, mm-hmm. do we, are we allowed to say that out mm-hmm. loud? Um, and so I write in the book, so if we can't trust God to keep bad things from happening to us, how do we trust God at all? And when I write, I write pretty much every day. And um, I just, I had nothing else to say. Mm-hmm. I wrote that sentence and it was like, the sentence of my soul at the and moment. There it was. It was like the question. Yeah. And I had no answer. So I I sat there for another maybe ten minutes and I was like, I don't have I, I don't have the next mm. sentence. And so I I closed the computer and I didn't come back to the computer for like a over a week. Mm. Um because I just was like, I don't 
What do I do? I don't know the answer. Yeah. I have a book contract signed. <laughs> They're but supposed I don't to have know. the answer. And so it really took me 80, th- I wrote about 80,000 words, and then, which is a crazy long book. Mm-hmm. And then I whittled it down to about 40,000, mm-hmm. which is a normal size book. Mm-hmm. Um, and wrestled with that over a period of about a year and a half. Um, and that's what it took for me to actually um, be able to to reckon with how mm-hmm. does one trust God. Yeah. So I, it's funny because the other book I was going to write that I was drawn to um, would have, is a fine book to write, and maybe I'll write it again maybe someday. one day. Um, but it was it was much more sort of like I said doctrinal, mm-hmm. and I think I honestly think I was using theology to avoid the central question of my life, which was how do you trust God? And that was all wrapped in loads of grief, Mm. loads of distrust, loads of doubt and unbelief. And I was sort of like avoiding the question, Um, maybe even avoiding the question with theological, with a book on theology, right? right? And so so that dare to kind of like, this is the book, I think it was because, you know, the Lord was sort of after me actually facing the question I didn't want to face. I wonder, you said you were avoiding that question, like, with theology. Mm-hmm. And that sentence got me thinking, like, we all do this. It may mm-hmm. not be theology. Right. It could be something else. And sometimes I think there are moments when... I can have a good theology of something, but I don't, that comes, push comes to shove when I haven't walked through that, it gets a lot harder. Like, you know, like I'm trying to say like, um, if I were to, I have not, if I were to lose a spouse to death, like there would, my grief would have to come into play and the theology, although it would be there, it couldn't take over for my grief. Does that make sense what I'm saying? It totally makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm super for theology. I'm super for wrestling with doctrine. And in some ways, we can't quite process anything or any emotion without it. Yeah. Because any any emotion we bring questions to, like, I mean, even ought we listen to our emotions? Mm-hmm. That's a, that is a deeply, like, theological, philosophical mm-hmm. question. Like, uh, or, um, you know, if you lose a spouse like is there hope in the midst of that yeah so there is some sense where i mean i i just think i mean liturgy the ordinary like pouring a cup of coffee is theological so you can't get away from that right at the same time i think that i think there's something in what you're saying that we can think of theology primarily as this cognitive exercise and so i do see this even as a, a pastor i see this where people in grief can sometimes go to like the answer mm-hmm. or want you know the the sort of I don't know the kind of like um, pat or acceptable kind of Christian yeah. response, and it's a way. Actually, a reviewer of my book said this. They said it's made me realize that I use theology to cork my sense of grief. Wow. To to quiet my uh-huh. sense of my emotions of it almost, anger. We feel like if we show those emotions, then we maybe don't trust God, or maybe God isn't good. Right, right, yeah. Or 
Yeah, or maybe God will leave us in right. the midst of it. Yeah, I, I mean, I I think that I think some of those emotions for me were coming because mm-hmm. I I didn't trust God. But the but the response to the, I mean, God is not surprised by that. It's it is hard to be a human being mm-hmm. and to live your life trusting God. Yep. And so I think the response to that isn't to sort of like pretend we have uh-huh. the right answer or pretend that we're in a different spot, but. I mean, look at the psalmist all the time. He's like, where are you? Right. Why? Why have you forsaken me? Yes. Why have you forsaken yeah. me? How long, oh yeah. Lord? How long? Mm-hmm. I was just, I mean, I was just reading this morning of, you know, the psalmist is reciting, like, you have done this in the past. You delivered these people and you have forgotten mm. us. Like, what? I mean, mm. can you? Those I, are real emotions. Those are real emotions. And I think, I think that, I think a lot of, if, if you if you brought that to, you know, many pastors, they would say, oh, don't, you know, the response of like, God hasn't forgotten you, mm-hmm. which of course God hasn't forgotten right. the psalmist. But he but there was there was something faithful in even expressing mm-hmm. that, because remember, he's like expressing that God has forgotten him in a promise to God. Right. So there's. He's practicing lament. Lament. That's what I was going to say, and I think that's something that we struggle with. Yeah, definitely, definitely in this in this world. You said this in your book. You said, but unless we make space for grief, so you're writing probably learning this yourself. You said, but unless we make space for grief, we cannot know the depths of the love of God, the healing God wrings from pain, the way grieving yields wisdom, comfort, even joy. If you do not make time for grief, it will not simply disappear. Grief is stubborn. It will make itself heard or we will die trying to silence it. If we don't face it directly, it comes out sideways in ways that aren't always recognizable as grief, explosive anger, uncontrollable anxiety, compulsive shallowness, brooding, bitterness, unchecked addiction. Grief is a ghost that can't be put to rest until its purpose has been fulfilled. Yep. Everyone takes a deep breath on that one. (laughs) It's going to come out. Yeah. And you, did you find that as, because you just said, as you were journeying through writing this book, you had to even go back and acknowledge some things that you hadn't dealt with. Did you find having to go through this as you were writing this grief coming out or were you just aware of how it had? Oh, no. And still, I mean, I still. This is the, let's not act like we're both. All the yeah, time. exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's, there's all, all kinds of times now where I'm just like snapping at my husband or really, really anxious. And I have to sort of be like, what is, you know, what is underneath this? Yeah. Um, I had a counselor who said, you know, underneath um, anger is typically sorrow or fear. Mm. And so, um, but but those both sorrow and fear are kind of vulnerable to mm-hmm. feel and admit. And so anger can be a real uh, a way to it, it's a it 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 feels less vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Um, and there there's certainly not anything wrong with anger. But when I just feel like this kind of irrational, ang- if when when I'm like this is where did this come from? What yeah, is this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or or that it's just. Um, by coming out sideways, I just mean that it's like um, I'm reacting really unkindly yeah. or really impatiently, or um, that I still have to stop and be like, "What is the what is underneath this? Mm-hmm. What's the fear underneath this? What's mm-hmm. the grief underneath this?" Um, and I'm, I mean, I think I I didn't grow up in a home that like was you know we didn't talk about grief that mm-hmm. wasn't and so I think 
Um, yeah, I certainly saw it and was learning through the writing of this book, but also I just see it everywhere. Yeah. I mean, I think I, I say this in the book, but my husband, uh, anger has always been something that he's sort of struggled with. He was very into, um, but like in college and and kind of before before and after his like conversion to Christianity, um, he was super into punk rock. Mm-hmm. And there's something really, really beautiful and good about that. But but he would say, like, some of it was just the uh, – he just had a lot of aggression. Yeah. And, you know, the m- m- mosh pit – I mean, people would just, like, wail on each other, mm-hmm. just beat each other up at um, shows. And he just thought that was the best. You mm-hmm. know, like, it was just – so um, it was interesting. I mean, of course, that affected our marriage in all kinds of, like, not great ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and and we both have some of that. To, it's not just him. I yeah. mean, we, we brought all kinds of baggage into our relationship. Um, but as he, as we've both kind of had to face that, mm-hmm. you know, what came out, and again, I said this in the book, but, like, he just cried. Like when he's first, when he started dealing with that, he just cried because there was so all much sorrow the time. in him. Yeah, I mean, just sometimes he would not even know. I mean, I think it was just his his father passed away when he was eleven, and you know he just had some stuff that yeah. he had never really grieved, mm-hmm. and um, and he he cried enough where, um, this one sweet woman in our church like brought him a gift wrapped and it was it was handkerchiefs oh because she'd seen him crying because, so much well, he, yeah because he's a, he's a he was he also is a priest uh-huh. so he would cry when he he just started where like all his sermons he started crying <laughs> he was just crying all the time yeah in his sermons and his teaching and his worship and it um it just was such a sign it was so sweet mm-hmm. and it was such a sign of healing it felt like yeah. it was like something in in him was tapping into something really um, that had been waiting to be heard for yeah. a long time. Yeah. And I, I just think that's true. I think um, uh, Martha Nussbaum is a, is a, she's a philosopher that um, talks about emotions as she calls them hot cognitions, mm-hmm. meaning um, they communicate some cognitions are, are you know, thoughts, but it, that she she talks about how we can sort of think about rationality as as the thing that speaks truth and emotions as sort of just feelings, mm-hmm. you know, or something less mm-hmm. than. But that she would really say emotions are communicating something really true. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I think David Foster Wallace says, uh, this is one of my favorite quotes, he says, the truth will set you free, but not until it's finished with you. And I think that's what I'm getting at with the mm-hmm. grief thing is like the, the the grief in our life is saying something actually true. Yeah. And um, we're, you can't, the only way to um, kind of get on the other side of it is is to go through it. Yeah. Like you can't to you listen can't to it go and around deal with it. it. Yeah. And it and because it's a tutor, it's 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 you're needing to really l- learn what it has to yeah. say. Yeah. So, I yeah. think that is why 
Enneagram aside, I I resonated with the the book Prayer in the Night so much is because I mean I look back and 2021 was a hard year for me emotionally finding out some grief that I hadn't acknowledged and so it was almost like I was <laughs> and the I mean I wrote this book before COVID yeah so yeah and then like we're the all world was falling apart when yeah the book came yes and so there's a part in the book and I already told you I forgot my book at home. And so I hope I don't mess this up, but you can help me with it. There's a part towards the end, and speaking of crying, where you talk about Jesus taking all of our tears. Mm -hmm. And I, look, I could cry right now thinking about it because that part of the book, I want you to tell, I want you to talk about it. I read that for the first time and I thought, wow, he cares and he's going to like make all this right and it's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. And... I've gone back to that part several times since my first reading of the book in moments of wondering, like, Jesus, do you care about this sorrow that I'm walking mm. through? Mm. And so I want you to, to if you can, to expand on that. And I apologize, I don't have the book or I would have read from it. But just talk about that idea of, like, Jesus, he is, he's going to take care of us. And, he, mm-hmm. and he's going to take all of our tears, just like Scripture says. And you said it so beautifully in the book. Yeah, I probably said it better in the book than I can now. I'm a better writer than I am a talker, for sure. Um, well, everyone needs but, to go read it because look at how I'm crying about it, <laughs> and I don't even have it in front of me. Um, but I, I don't totally remember. I don't read my books once they're out um, because I've read them too much. Um, I to completely begin. understand but, uh, that. But I, so I don't. I think it's in the chapter on, on weeping. And um, it's at the very last page of whatever chapter it yeah, is on the I, left side of the book. <laughs> <laughs> I think it. I think it's the chapter on weeping, and I I talk about um, the scripture that talks about how um, God will wipe away our tears, and um, and I say like you know, okay, that could just be metaphorical that that there will not be tears, but what if it's not? You know, what if um, before we enter into like the fullness and the glory of the new heavens and new earth and all is set right, what if we get to s- sort of, s- we don't just run into that, but we stop and we honor all the losses that got us there, all the broken places, and that we kind of um, really, I think for the first time, looking back with the presence of God, God shows us our story with all of the places we've been deeply wounded, all the places we've deeply wounded others, all the twists and turns and things that did not make sense at the time. And we um, we cry with, we, we get to weep with the source of life. You yeah. know, we get to weep with with our Savior and then God wipes away our tears. You know, that that only kind of only by actually crying and facing it um can god wipe away our tears and i but i also think that god ultimately is the only one who can wipe away mm-hmm. our tears in a way that is like actually healing yeah that is that actually in that moment there will be healing that we that we long for and and we're not going to be able to gin up on our own that um so i think that i think that folks can 
read that as like, okay, we just won't have any more tears. We'll just pop and be just totally happy. Um, but what if something about wiping mm-hmm. away implies that there are tears, right? right? Yeah. That it's not just- And there's an action. Moment of, yeah. of ha- it's not just like automatic happiness. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I say in the book, like, I don't know. You know, this is, there's like a, this is a holy, hopefully, imagination yeah. kind of happening here. But I do think that um, it's hard for me. It almost feels like heaven, or however you want to talk about that, resurrection, the new heavens, the new earth, would be a kind of escapism mm. if there's not a time to be really honest mm. about about the hard things and to sort of um, grapple with God about those things. So I don't, of course, know what that will look like. But I think, um, you know, there's this other passage about God keeping our tears in the bottle. Mm -hmm. It doesn't seem like if, if he cares enough to know the number of hairs on our head and to keep our tears in a bottle that, um, that all of that would would just um, be ignored. Yeah, it feels like part of redemption will be facing that with the only one who can actually heal mm-hmm. and can actually see the whole story. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Jesus in his resurrection still had scars, right? And yeah. so those places, I think, of scarring in our life, and I, I mean that bodily but also just spiritually and emotionally, they have to be addressed. They can't just be ignored. Yeah. And so I think whatever redemption looks like, it's not just going to be like, like a, I don't know if you've, one time in my life, first time and the, and well, the last time, uh-huh. went with my mother wanted to take our kids on a Disney cruise and it was insane. <laughs> yes. But um but you walk on a Disney cruise and everyone's like, Yay, yeah, yay, uh-huh. he's like screaming uh-huh. and cheering and they're singing songs. I'm not sure that's what it will be like mm. going into heaven. I mean, maybe this is just because I don't like Disney cruises. <laughs> and so I <laughs> but it it feels like there's got to be some sort of acknowledgement of of Um, what Jesus actually has saved us from, you know, the brokenness of the world. Stressed about pests? When you have pest problems, don't call just anyone. Call the Orkin Pro. For more than 120 years, Orkin offers unparalleled service, helping protect homes and businesses from termites, rodents, mosquitoes, and other insects. With Orkin by your side, you don't have to wonder about the outcome of your pest problem. We'll solve it guaranteed. And if bugs creep up between services, we'll be on your doorstep free of charge. Orkin, the best in pests. Learn more at orkin.com. Experience the joy of running in the new Triumph 22 from Saucony, the original running brand. Stacked with luxury foam cushioning, Triumph 22 turns miles into smiles with the ultimate blend of comfort and energy return. Shop Triumph 22 at Saucony.com. That's S-A-U-C-O-N-Y.com. When I read it, and if you're watching this on YouTube, you can see that I still get emotional. Even you talking about it. Remember when I read it? When I read it, to me, what it did to me to have this holy imagination, as you said, was to imagine 
so when you when I feel sad here in this body on this earth my theological knowledge tells me that God is with me and he hasn't left me and he is for me all those things that we know to be true when I used my holy imagination when I read that I imagined God being with me Mm -hmm. like literally with me uh Jesus looking at me and letting me weep that's beautiful yeah and him being there touching me holding me and again I don't know if that's what it's gonna be like (laughs) um but it really it really did something to me um Mm. and it almost made me trust even more in the here and now like I really do my like we talked about already my theological stance I can get that I know God's with me in the heart I know he's here all those things but that part about weeping one last time with God mm-hmm. before there's no more weeping and letting him wipe all my tears away, uh, it made me love God more. Oh, that's beautiful. And so. It's beautiful. It's, I think, I don't totally remember that moment, but I think that I, I could, I think I do. Um, I mean, one of the, re- first of all, thank you. That's beautiful to say, I, I hope I would love if, things I wrote made people love God more. So that's great. (laughs) Thank you. But also it's one of the things that makes me love kind of that it's why I'm a writer. It's one of the things that makes me love doing this is that I remember this. So we lived in this very small house in Pittsburgh and we had three kids in it. Um, And well, we had two kids and I was pregnant. We had anyway, so the only quiet place to work was like this the third floor of our house in this little corner. It was not beautiful. It's not like I know there's it, you know pictures of like professional writers, you <laughs> yeah. know, writing uh-huh. sheds and it's beautiful yeah. and this was not, not that. that. This was like dark and sad. <laughs> yes. And like I was I was working on a um card table yeah and my husband is a painter and was does icons so there was like there was like paint and like turpentine like there was like chemicals around. Uh, yes <laughs> so whatever we use the same space so um and I'm writing that and and a lot of times when I write there's sort of like things that I didn't know I knew or hopes that I didn't know I had or things are coming out of me that that are not so it wasn't like I sat down and thought oh here's an interesting insight on this biblical passage Uh I mean I was sort of writing this and so and I cry when I do it I'm Mm -hmm. I'm crying not all the time I mean yeah I write for a living a lot of it is just like (laughs) deadlines exactly but but there are these moments where I think especially with with this book because I was I was I was wrestling with these things I really think writing the best writing comes out of things that people are that writers themselves don't get or Mm -hmm. wrestling with trying to get learning kind of on the on that edge on the growing edge of their lives and so um that was one of those passages where I through that was I think I wept when mm. I wrote it too. I think I um, was thinking maybe, you know, maybe maybe this is a better hope mm. than I. 
you know, first thought. Yeah. And um, in a very similar way of like, what would it be like? What would it be like to actually be with God? To be in the presence of Jesus mm. and to be able to acknowledge the pain of my own life, mm-hmm. like in specific terms, like, you know, this happened to me when mm-hmm. I was 11. This, mm-hmm. uh, what about this moment when I was 15? Mm-hmm. You know, like to be able to kind of weep with the one who loves me most, mm-hmm. you know, that, that was, that's, I think that I, um, I come to the page with these yeah. same sort of longings yeah. too. Yeah. And the, yeah. You said we were talking about crying with your husband and it like it's a vulnerable state to be um, so emotional that you cry and shed tears. Mm-hmm. And um, and I think about that, too, like the, the ability to be completely vulnerable with Jesus, mm-hmm. which I want to be that way anyways. But I mean, let's just be real there. We have this relationship with a spirit and there's no one sitting in front of us with yes. a physical body. Right. And so just to imagine that vulnerability of like seeing Jesus, it was just way too much for my um, <laughs> feeble little brain to try to figure out. But um, I think that uh, another thing about this book that is so good is like grief is not like just some people, you know, like you talk about like jokingly about yeah. the difference in the two books, but really like everyone is going through grief. Everyone's going to have grief. It is coming for us all we are living with it that's it is right. it is it is here to stay my friends yeah it's it's funny you bring that up because that's the second read maybe maybe we're just gonna kind go of through get the three through reasons three this is like your own little ther- like post therapy session but the second reason i was like so the first reason was like i don't want to go back there. yeah and the second reason was like i can't write a book on suffering like my life hasn't been bad enough like it, it you had this idea that it, it could be worse it could be worse and I mean, I've read beautiful books on suffering. Mm-hmm. There's there's whole genres of Christian books on suffering, yeah. and some by dear friends of mine, and they're about like the worst things that uh-huh. can happen in life. Like, but they're by and large written by friends of mine who've lost children, mm-hmm. which would is kind of my nightmare. Yeah. Um, uh, like my friend uh, Cameron Cole. He wrote a book called "Therefore I Have Hope." It's a great book, but mm. and it's it's written after their his three year old son died in mm. the middle of the night, mm. um, and so I was thinking of Cole um, or uh, this uh, great book um, yeah. about suffering, but he lo- he lost his mother and his wife and his daughter in a car accident all together all at the same time, so. Um, and, you know, of course, something like Lament for a Son, or Wolzersdorf's book about losing a son. So I just felt like, you know, I haven't lost a child. Uh, I have but I have through miscarriage, mm-hmm. but that's common, you know. Yeah. So, and one in four pregnancies yeah. in the miscarriage. Um, and so, you know, it felt like I, I didn't I, – I had lost a, my dad. I'd lost a parent. But all of us will well, yeah. will lose a parent. Uh-huh. It's live, like the natural, live, quote unquote, natural yeah, progression. If we live long enough, yeah. I'd moved across the country. But a lot of people mm-hmm. have experienced loneliness, and um, and I lost. I had, you know, two pregnancy losses, and one was a second trimester. It was a, it was a hard. Mm-hmm. It, they were they were all hard losses, but it yeah. was. I, I knew this baby. You know, I'd yeah. seen this baby so many times, but um. But still, it was. It felt this is fairly common, and so I just I was like, Lord, I haven't 
I can't write about suffering. It, it will seem like I'm, it'll just seem whiny. Yeah. You know, it'll just seem, uh-huh. <laughs> it could be worse. You know, I heard, I heard my, my father's voice in my <laughs> head, like, ah, it could be worse. Um, but, um, and, and that ended up actually being sort of, sort of a part of the book. I think kind of a gift of the book mm-hmm. is saying, that we can think of grief i i certainly could think of grief as this um this um phenomenon that happens to this certain group of people right. like mm-hmm. to this kind of people who particularly suffer mm-hmm. and they write books on suffering and they kind of report to us you know that in case we ever get into their club right yep. exactly um, and it felt like, no, this is exactly why you should write this mm. book is that, that first of all, I realized something being common doesn't make it hurt less That's when you're good. going through That's it. Good. Yeah. Yeah. And, but second, um, and I am not, I, I want very clear. I'm not saying that grief is all equal. I am not saying that suffering is all equal. It's not. I mean, mm-hmm. There are folks that suffer more deeply yeah. than others. Yeah. There and my life in so many ways is just wrapped around with privilege. Mm-hmm. And um yet even even for the sort of the best of lives, um, grief is part of it for mm-hmm. all of us. And grief and that grief is real. Yeah. And knowing that other people have grief or knowing that other people have it worse. Um, it can become a way of not actually looking at your own grief. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, I think we can, we we cannot know God in the way that God has made us to know Him, unless we meet Him in pain in our, in the in the places of grief mm-hmm. of our life. I think He's waiting for us in the places of grief in our life. And we will not meet him there if we um, just constantly if we if we shame ourselves for feeling grief because it's not as bad as others yeah. it's not not as bad as other people. And so the the second reason was sort of like I can't write this book because because I haven't gone through the worst thing I can imagine. And uh, part of the book, I mean, I talk in the book about sort of. Grief being like the white noise in mm-hmm. every life, like it's just there, mm-hmm. and um, it's kind of. I mean, it's even. I mean, there's been there's been moments of real beauty in my life, goodness in my life, where grief sort of rears its head, yeah. and I still still sense a, a sense of loss or a yeah. sense of grief or even just that life is fragile yep. and that this really lovely moment can't last, mm-hmm. you know, or won't last. And so I just think none of us get through life without grief Mm-mm. and without loss, like very real loss. And so um, making grief like the property of, ju- you know, of just a, a small mm-hmm. group of people or, or something that you have to kind of earn the right yeah. to be sad actually just diminishes um, the reality of what it is to be human and I think robs us of ways that we could actually meet God yeah. in the pain that we have. Um, 
So that was sort of my second objection to God that got knocked down. (laughs) Well, even like how you, when you said just now, like we meet God in the midst of this grief and I agree 100%. And then when you pair that with what you say in your book, that grief is like this white noise, it's constantly around us. Mm -hmm. I do think it, it has even just made me think just now, like which ways am I avoiding God today? Oh, that's interesting. Because I'm not willing to acknowledge an emotion, face an emotion, deal with an emotion. I mean, if I think about just my day today, what is today? April 13th. Like, I have just been going from one thing to the next to the next. But you're right when you say that there there are things, if I were to stop and think, there are things that I'm grieving today, mm-hmm. whatever that might be. And what if I looked at that as an opportunity to meet God? Instead of an opportunity to like, I don't have time to feel sad or I don't have time to think about that. Yeah, right, right. If you just flip that, I mean, I'm just thinking about my day today. I would have met with God a lot today, you know, (laughs) but I mean, I think it's just encouraging because there's nobody that's ever come on my podcast when we're discussing something that they've been through that has been difficult or hard and it doesn't have to fall in that category of like the worst thing in the world. There's no one that hasn't, they all say the same thing, every single person. They say, I knew God more in that season, in that grief than I ever had before. Mm. And there has to be something too, like meeting God in the midst of that. Mm -hmm. And the way that we're talking about it here, it's like, that's available to us today. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I, I talk about this, this goes, actually, I say this in Liturgy of the Ordinary. So I started, you know, I was wrestling with some of these same things there is that I think that if we train ourselves uh, you know, I, I know, I proclaim, I would preach, I've been to seminary, that God meets us in suffering. But if we if we sort of train ourselves to say, okay, God meets us in suffering, and suffering is only the worst thing that ever happens to me, it's like we... <laughs> It's like we're waiting for the worst for the worst to meet God. Mm-hmm. Whereas I actually think the the only way that we're going to be able to sort of like embrace the presence of God in mm-hmm. that darkness is if we sort of like practice on lesser mm-hmm. things, which is um, and we can we kind of can miss God, I think, in ordinary suffering if we're always waiting. Mm-hmm. For if we if we go, okay, yes, yes, yes. If I get cancer, God will be there. Right. But God isn't there for me right now as, you know, whatever. Like a a young mom who hasn't had sleep in three days because my kid has an ear infection. Mm -hmm. And I, you know whatever have a also have a Mm three-year-old that's wanting my attention and our freaking sink is backed up and won't work and something to grieve my husband you know whatever like whatever whatever like yelled at me or Mm -hmm. i yelled at him or and there's there's just this sort of like okay like that's a that's a really ordinary bad day yeah but if we don't learn to sort of meet god in that um then not only are we like missing out, I think, mm-hmm. on on encounters with God, but I also think we're sort of, ha- how are we then going to sort of like turn around in our darkest moment mm-hmm. if we haven't sort of um, practiced it? Yeah, practiced yeah. this in, in our ordinary lives. Yeah. And uh, I think I knew, you know, I, I kind of was trained to, to, to look for God in suffering. But but I I always thought of that as, as catastrophe. And so I wasn't trained to look for God in kind of 
the ordinary suffering of a of a week and I, and so i think um there's something really there's something lost i think in that yeah i think what you're saying is also we have to reevaluate what deserves grieving mm-hmm. because there's this idea that, like you grieve when someone dies mm-hmm. you grieve when you lost a job mm-hmm. you grieve you know what i mean like these big things like you're saying but even even as we're talking without giving any details right before we started recording my daughter calls me she had a problem she needed me and I chose to stay here and interview with you and had someone else go help her. Yeah. I don't regret that decision. But even as we're talking, I'm like, oh, I could grieve that moment yeah. that's, that I had to work instead of going to be with her. Right. And that is a moment that isn't big. Everyone's oh, totally. fine. It's not totally. that big of a deal. Yeah. But I can acknowledge that and say, I feel a little sad Yeah. that I didn't get to be the one to help her. Yeah. Totally. I so this, I totally get that and feel that. And um, I have been dealing. My my daughter has faced some sort of uh, like difficulty um, in school and some some social stuff that's just hard. Very normal. She's and she's in middle school, so yeah. very normal kind of. But but some like bullying stuff and that kind of thing. And I um, it's. I think I think you're right. Well, the, my first instinct was to sort of belittle it, to be like, oh, it's normal, you know, uh, don't grieve this. But I'm realizing, like, that the, the reality that my daughter is going to suffer in this world and I can't rescue her from all of that is really um, – pain it's really mm-hmm. it's really grievous to yeah. me and the way that I know I don't actually feel sad my response as a mom is anxiety mm-hmm. how can I fix this well yep. the reality is I can't right and anything that I stepped in and tried to do would be like a little neurotic yeah. and a little like, like she would probably ask like, you to stop oh, too. oh my gosh <laughs> yes 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 uh-huh um but underneath that anxiety is just this deep grief yeah. that that I I do not want my kids to suffer. Yeah. I don't want them to suffer big, and I don't want them to suffer small. Mm-hmm. I want to rescue them from all of that. And as she gets older and older, I can't. Mm-hmm. I mean, even as a kid, and yeah. so, as as a little kid, so part of this grief, like that you felt with your daughter, that I'm feeling with my daughter about social stuff, or the or the the made up mom who has the backed yeah. up sink with a uh-huh. with a, a kid with a, a um ear infection this touches on much bigger like yes we're grieving because people die of mm-hmm. course that's that is like true grief yeah but the fact is and before we die there's lots of kinds of small suffering that we um experience that is real and that What I'm saying, I think, is like, to some extent, we are grieving death, even in that. Like, when the kid has an ear infection, you're grieving that there's sickness in the world that you can't stop. That no matter how much you love this little person, Mm -hmm. and I've felt this at three in the morning, no matter how much I love this person, I cannot take this pain away from them. And yes, they're going to probably survive. Mm -hmm. But eventually, they're not. Mm -hmm. And feeling I think there's like a little I think there's a taste of that I Mm -hmm. think 
um, there's the taste of of like our, our fragility, broken bodies, and, our, yeah, our fragility. And I I talk in the book. This was a very helpful concept to me. I, I that um, about being vulnerable, which which we can talk about. We can talk about vulnerability in terms of sort of like I'm choosing to be like emotionally mm-hmm. open or honest. That's not. That's a fine way of talking about it. That's not the way I use the term in my book. I I talk about vulnerability as an unavoidable human condition. So you can be John Wayne and you're still vulnerable. Right. I mean, he's dead. Mm-hmm. So he's he experienced vulnerability in a way that I ha- even have not mm-hmm. yet. Um, and that vul- I mean that word vulner is from Latin is to is wo- to wound. So it's able to be wounded. And all of us live able to be wounded. We all live vulnerably. Mm-hmm. And um, from the from before we're born, <laughs> but when we are we when when we are conceived until our dying day, the most kind of charismatic, happiest, you know, think of the person who's like whatever yeah. they they have like a great house and a great family and the Christmas card mm-hmm. looks so good like. That person is able to be wounded yeah. every minute of their life. Mm-hmm. And I mean that physically, I mean that emotionally, I mean that spiritually. And I don't just mean wounded by other people, I mean by our own bodies breaking mm-hmm. down, yeah. by by the nat- just the tragic nature of history. Yeah. And, and we all live in that world. We all live in a world where we n- deeply know we're fragile. Um, this is a way that we're different than like my dog yeah. or whatever. You know, I think that we we experience that fragility. We know we're going to die and that the people that we love are going to die. And, and so um, there is real grief mm-hmm. around just being a vulnerable human being yeah. that we um, that's like honest. Mm-hmm. It's like honest about yeah. about our state of who we are and that doesn't mean that there's not also like ecstatic joy um but just that we even we never stop being vulnerable and so some of our our grief that you expressed about your daughter and and you know that and and about my daughter that i expressed about my daughter it's there's there's their physical vulnerability their social vulnerability their emotional vulnerability Mm -hmm. that that is painful to us as people who love them as mothers that we can't rescue them from Mm -hmm. that and we can't rescue ourselves from that either and so i think what i'm saying is 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 these little things are actually tapping on something really big and really true Mm -hmm. about the human condition right like when your sink backs up and everything's falling apart it's not just that you're sad about that yeah it's that you're sad about the uncontrollability of the world Mm -hmm. that we walk through yeah and those little things i mean you're right because we can see the massive things Mm -hmm. uh, on the news or even our own personal lives but those little things it is this evidence that we are vulnerable humans walking with broken bodies to all of our eventual deaths i mean you know it's all of us that's what's coming for us um and that can bring grief up when you think totally. about it in the little yeah. things. Yeah. And I and I don't mean, I mean, if people are listening, like, of course we have perspective. Like, of course we don't weep over our sink clogging up at Liz. We do over, you know, a loved one dying or even like horrific tragedy mm-hmm. in the world. 
Um, and yet the, we're grieving the chaos. Mm. We're grieving the fall. Like yeah. it's what we're grieving a lot of what I grieve a lot of times is not even the specific thing mm -hmm. as much as just that like the world is not how it is meant to be yeah. and we feel that we mm -hmm. feel that every moment and I think one of the things I love about the Christian story part of the reason I'm still a Christian and one of the things I love about the gospel is it tells me that the feelings I feel that this is not how things are supposed to be, that this is not how the world is supposed to be, that that's not just like wishful thinking, that that's true, mm. that that actually touches on um, true reality. Because if there is no God, if there is no redemption, if we weren't created for a place of beauty mm -hmm. and joy, then the world just is the way it is. Yeah. Like it's, it, I mean. There would be nothing to grieve because this would be what it would be, right? Is that right. what you're saying? Yeah. Well, I'm saying, yeah. I mean, the world, like, we live in a world where the strong prey on the weak. Mm -hmm. Like, you see this in nature. Yeah. Like, that it is the way things are. Yeah. Um, and so <laughs> Christianity frees me up to say, okay, it's the way things are, but it's not how things are intended to be. Yeah. And so the gap. And how they will be. Right. You know, yeah. And how they were. Yeah, and how so they the were and how they will be. Between how things are and how things are meant to be is that space of grief. Mm. That's what the grief comes from. And so it touches on something I believe that's really true. Mm -hmm. It's not just fantasy. Yeah. It's real mm -hmm. that we feel that. And that's the space we're in. And so it's where we are. Um, Tish, I love this book because, I mean, we could talk about it forever and I could tell you how much I love it. You, you start the book. <laughs> because it was the best book of 2021. it was the best book of 2021, <laughs> says Jamie Ivey and Christianity Today. Um, I, I knew I was going to love it when in the introduction you said, when I was a priest who could not pray, and then you talk about how what yeah. led you to that. And I was like, that. I was like, okay, I can relate to this. This is where yeah. I have felt alone um, in the night. I want to ask you. Before I ask you what you're reading, I want to know what you're working on these days. Do you working on any projects? Yeah, well, I mean, the main the main project that takes up my time in the week right now is that I write every week for the New York Times. So that takes which loads you guys of time. you got to go read it because I've been loving it. Thanks. Yeah. Yes. Please subscribe to the yep. Times, and then you can opt into my newsletter, and then it comes right to your e inbox. Yeah. Or you can also just read it online. <laughs> it's on the main page too. Um, so that takes a lot of time and energy, but I've also um, have a book coming out that I sort of just we just did the final proofs mm -hmm. for. Um, it's a it's a very different project in that it's a it's a smaller project. It's like um, I don't know. I think about it as like an, a, a watercolor instead okay. of an oil painting. Um, but it's called it's and it's literally a smaller project. Okay. Like it is a half size book, so Got it. it is a shorter uh -huh. project. It's on it's my husband and I wrote it together. Awesome. And it's um on Advent, oh. the season of Advent. Mm -hmm. It's part of a series with University Press. Okay. Um called The Fullness of Time Got it. series. Mm -hmm. And there were six of us, I think it's six, that came together and we each took we're, part of the church calendar? We each took part of the church calendar. And um, we're all like liturgical folks in some way. So it's it's Esau Macaulay. He's the general We're huge editor. fans of Esau yeah, over here. Yeah, me too. One of my best friends. So Esau 
did Lint. His book just came out actually a, a while ago with Lint. Wes Hill, Wesley Hill did Easter. And then a guy, Emilio Alvarez, did Pentecost. And then we each have a book. And you can read them individually and buy them individually, but then you could they also will be sold as a like set. And it they're very it's very it's it's like an everything you need to know about Advent. But I've been joking that it's like Advent for dummies in the sense that like it'll just tell you it's just like those for dummies book were like an intro to the whole thing. So it's like a theological exploration of it and a thematic like emotional but then it's also very practical like here are some practices that you can do and this is how you do them like I, I actually it. explain like here's how you should fast like here's an example like if you haven't fasted before here's some things to keep in mind so it's a, in some ways it's it's more it's kind of more practical yeah. than some of my books but it will be a really good book for church groups to I read love together it. so it comes out like October November I think it's coming about. I think it's September. coming out in August. Okay, which good. Is Get us ready. Way before Advent. Yeah. I don't know why. I guess they do that so people can read it yep. and then decide, like, like can have time to read it and yeah. decide if they want to read mm -hmm. it in a group yeah. for for churches and that sort of thing. But um, I like it. It's it's a cool book, and so that's my next one. For it's a, a small book that is everything you need to know about the liturgical season of Advent. I love but it, it also, it, it'll be appealing, um, like, even if you don't keep Advent, because it deals a lot with, it deals, Advent is all about, like, waiting in darkness for mm -hmm. light to come. It's all about waiting for the coming of Christ. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's about preparation for Christmas, but one of the points I make in the book is it actually historically is far more about waiting for Jesus to to return. Right, to come again. And to set things right. Yeah. And so it's this, like we've sort of talked about today, it's this liminal space of like the already, the not yet. Mm -hmm. the, we've seen Jesus come, but things are still broken in the world. And so um, if you, if that resonates, you don't, it, it, you don't, I mean, at the end of the day, I don't, care if you practice advent but if but i think that carl bart i quote this says that what um that what other season do we ever live in mm. besides advent besides waiting yeah yeah and so that all christians mm -hmm. live in this place of jesus has come and yeah and jesus has not yet said all things right and we're in that space so it's, it's a book about advent but i think it's really about it's about life. life our <laughs> life live, as it is. We live in Advent, yes, whether you know it or not. When David was here, David Taylor came and started our Advent season. He was, gave us such a history lesson on Advent, and it was so good. Um, and That's so cool. I love when he comes in and gives us history lessons. Yeah, David and I are at the same church now. I love it. Yeah. So, so great. He's great. So great. Um, okay, Tisha, I'd love to hear what you're reading, but today's What Are You Reading segment is sponsored by Taylor Joy Murray and her new book, Stop Saying I'm Fine, Finding Stillness When Anxiety Screams. If that doesn't go well with what we've talked about today, Tisha, I don't know what else. Okay, so Taylor has a new book out, and here's the question, guys. Are you more familiar with anxiety than you want to be? Maybe you've tried to pray and trust God more, but you still feel defeated. Author Taylor Joy Murray can relate. Stop Saying I'm Fine is written out of Taylor's own struggle to live well inside of a story where anxiety is a dominant theme. With practical insights and vulnerability, Taylor invites you to process the story behind your anxiety and discover, as she has, 
the stillness that you're looking for isn't as distant as it seems. Taylor, thank you for that. There's a shirt that sh my friends Amy Brown and uh, Mary do from Shop Forward. And it says, I'm fine. I'm fine. Everything's okay. And that's what it makes me think of. That's Taylor's <laughs> book. She needs that shirt. Uh, stop saying I'm fine. What are you reading these days? So um, right now on my bedside table is I'm, I feel, I, I shouldn't feel dumb about this. I always There's feel dumb feel about dumb. being answers oh, dumb. this. But everyone is reading this Okay, book, what is it? And I am too. Um, but I'm reading Beth Moore's memoir, All Listen, My Not Tish, at Life. Listen, Tish, in 2021, Everyone was reading your book. See? Because it was the best book of the year. Um, and I do. It's been great. I, her memoir is really It's really compelling. good. Compelling. Yep. So I'm, a, I'm just over halfway through. Have you shed um, any tears? Are you a crier? I am a crier. Okay. I, uh, I don't know. I cried today I, when I was reading a book. I don't know if I've shed tears. It is unusual for me to cry when I'm reading. Okay, actually. well, you need to. You're gonna have to come back and let me know. Report back because I cried at the end of her book. Oh, I haven't. As I was, fin yeah. So I, I'm just saying would, you can. I would recommend it. Like, oh, yeah. If, if um, I highly recommend it. And so that that is one book I'm reading. I read a lot for my job, mm -hmm. so I could tell you things I'm reading for my job. But that that right now that is the book. The books on my bedside table are not books I'm reading for my job. Yeah, they're the books I'm reading because I. Want to, to, yeah, and I'm enjoying them, uh huh. And so that's the book that I'm reading that is like my, it is, it would be called, it would be wrong to call it a fun, my fun book because that's, although she is very funny in it, yeah, it, but it's my, um, my, um, reading for, well, for it's leisure. leisure book, it's a memoir, yeah. you know, it's like someone's life. I love it. And memoir is my favorite genre, mine so too. I'm, I'm reading, what, tell me what else I should read. What are my favorite memoirs? Oh my gosh. I have too many. I have too many, but I will give you some. Give me some. Um I have you read Lit by Mary Carr? I have a long time. Well, it's been out a while like Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean I'm a lot of the ones I'm going to tell okay, you. Okay, keep are going. My yes, yes. So uh-huh. So that's one of my very okay. favorites. Um I love um The Long Loneliness by Dorothy Day. You are the second person I've interviewed that's told me that. Okay, it's such a great book. Okay, um, those are some that come to mind. Esau Macaulay's coming out with a memoir. It's he amazing. is. Yes, yes. Is that public or is this? Am I getting insider scoop? No, no, it's public. Okay, it's good. Public. Yeah, good. Yeah, I think you can pre-order it. Um, those are some. I know I'm going to walk out of here and be like, "Oh, I should have said." You X, can send y, me. Tell them to me. But um. Yeah. Okay. I'll need to know some. if you cry at the end of Beth's book. This is a memoir that is not like any of the ones you listed. But have you read Matthew McConaughey's book, Green Lights? I have not. Okay. It's nothing like anything you just listed. I'm not even like, I wouldn't call myself like a Matthew McConaughey fan. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'm just like, he is who he is. He lives here in Austin. Yes. All things. Yeah. I listened to it and he reads it and it was so oh, entertaining. His voice is so great. I just wouldn't throw that out okay. there. Okay. It's entertaining. Will, okay, so in terms of pop culture memoirs, mm -hmm. my favorite, I read this a few years ago, but have you read um, Jeff Tweedy's, um, it's called... I don't even know who that is. Oh, he's the lead singer of Wilco. I don't even know who that band is. Oh, really? I'm, oh, not a, I'm not a music they're person. They're great. Okay. Um, but it's called, it's um, um, something like, let's go... 
maybe it's just called let's go okay but in parentheses it's like so we can come home, come back again okay that's what it's called okay it's so good and he it's he talks a lot about recovery uh-huh. in it because he became addicted to prescription drugs. I hope I'm not giving anything away. You should just. I bet you could memoir. Google that. But um, but like, I don't know I, if we're allowed to talk about our earlier conversation. But the he he was in recovery mm-hmm. with all these people who had had in some ways much worse lives. Yeah. than he did and so he felt like he couldn't like talk about his yeah. own pain because yeah. like he wasn't and one of the people who'd had kind of the roughest life got in his face and he was like don't compare yourself yep. to me don't compare yourself to others like you got to feel your own pain wow. you got to walk yeah. your own story uh-huh. and it was so freeing to yeah. him but it, it i mean he talks about it as this pivotal po- point in in recovery uh-huh and it, so i i have a whole hobby horse that i think that we have so much to learn from the recovery community yep. but one of it is like your grief is your grief. That's right. Like, own it. Yeah. But he talks about this in the in the book. I I can't remember if I read it before or after the book came out, but it's a great book. Okay. Because you like pop culture, have you read Bono's new book? Yes. Well, it is also on the bedside table. Okay. So I haven't read um, all of Bono's mm-hmm. new book, but I've read maybe a fourth of Bono's book, enough like he's been through some sad yeah. stuff already. I haven't finished it either. I'm a, it's a book I'm listening to very slowly. I don't know why. Uh, but my husband read it and he's like, it's one of the best books I've it's ever read. And beautiful. he loves Bono anyway. So part of the reason I haven't finished it, I am I am reading it slowly. But then I was told by so many people, you have to listen to it on audiobook. Because and he reads it. I don't listen to audio okay. books very much. Uh-huh. I know that lots of people do. Yeah. And I but I don't. I'm just not in situations where I could very yeah. often. And so um but multiple people have been like if you don't listen to any other book on audio, listen to this because they insert like he'll talk yeah, about a song yeah. and then they'll play it. Uh-huh. Or play part of it. Yeah. So I was reading it, I saw Bono. And and Bono, Brene Brown interviewed Bono mm-hmm. at the Paramount, and I was there. There, okay. And so, um, so they, so if you were there, you got the book. So I got the book, like whatever, like a, before it came out, uh-huh. and I started reading it. And then I'm still reading it slowly, but I'm I'm hesitating because I might actually get go the listen audio to it. Book. I hear yeah. it's worth it. Yeah, it's great so far. Yeah. Very sad. Yeah, but um, but really, really pretty beautiful. I love it. Mm-hmm. Tish, thanks for coming on the happy hour. Yeah. I have loved it. Um, And thank you for your work. I'm so glad God gave you the gift of writing because we are all benefiting from it. And so thank you, thank you, thank you. Thanks. Thank you so much. Hey, guys. I'm Story. Jamie's my mom. Um, And if you stay till the end, and if you listen to the end, I have an announcement. Pretty great, guys. Ready? Normal, please. Tomorrow's my mom's birthday! The Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey is a production of Ivy Media Podcast. Executive produced by Jamie Ivey, produced by Lindsay Sweeney, edited by Angie Elkins, show notes by Nikki Ogden, art by Jen Jet Barrett, original music by Matt Graham, and I'm your host, Jamie. Have a happy hour with a friend.
Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle. Because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider. And also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave.